Hi, this is Mary H.K. Choi, and you're listening to Hey, Cool Job. My guest today is Jenna Wortham, New York Times Magazine staff writer, host of the podcast Still Processing, aspirational lifestyle icon, crystal enthusiast, and my favorite herbalist. I'm in love with my life. Hi, Jenna. Hi, Mary. Thanks for coming. Oh, my God. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, so today was like the first properly beautiful day in New York. It was yes. like we hit the 80s. I'm going to ask for the pod what you did today, even though I know because I saw on Instagram. <laughs> what did you do today? I hit the beach, had to do it. I turned a story in and I bounced so hard. What time did you go? Noon. Because I okay. checked the temp and it wasn't going to be like peak, peak until one because it's still so early. <laughs> See, this is why I dubbed you an aspirational lifestyle icon. You're very good Strategic. at maximizing. Yes. 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 Um, You'll love this. I, I woke up, took a call for my pod, soaked some heirloom beans for the Reiki potluck tomorrow. As you do, as one does. Jumped in the Subaru, went to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> Literal Subaru. Power move. <laughs> How was the beach? So delicious. Oh, my God. God. So the thing about New York, it's funny, like the first day it's like properly warm and I look out and I actually took a cab here because today we're recording at not Red Bull, but at Mixpack Studios. Shout out to the sponsor. Um, I was looking at the New York skyline and I was like, oh, my God, I missed you. But it wasn't mm. like I felt like I had been anywhere. It felt like to me that like New York had been to mm-hmm. war and yeah. is back. And like, <laughs> New- like I was stationary, New York left and uh-huh. now it's back. Uh-huh. And it's like I'm flooded with like relief and like yeah. endorphins. It feels like the city took off its like big puffy down parka yes, and is wearing, the and then you're like, goose. oh, <laughs> it's got some like cute slim cut jeans on and like a tank. And you're like, damn, <gasps> totally. Right, you're like, right. is that silk? Um, <laughs> so okay, I know it's really really early to call, but you are kind of an authority on this. What <laughs> is an early call song of the summer? <gasps> kind of oh a hard question, gosh. especially this week. No, it's a great question. It's um, it's the Cardi. I like it. Like, the, yeah, I sorry, like it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, I like it. I like it like that. I too today tweeted about how all summer I just want to dress like how that song sounds. Yeah. <laughs> which like, is ass so, out, thighs yeah, out. Which is very <laughs> naked. <laughs> very, very naked. Very Cardi. Very Cardi. And actually, um, yeah, like I feel like just because of the winter and the fall and like the Mercury retrograde that we had, it's like I feel like dressing really aggy naked. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where it's like full on nipples and being. I mean, I'm here. <laughs> I'm, I apologize when I came in. I was like, I know, you're going to see the tatas. You started. <laughs> I, I don't know what to do. But it's that like panic of like what to wear, what to wear. And then mm. New York is just so gruesome if you're not like just fucking things naked. Out. Yeah, 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 like yeah. you got to aerate. So. But then also it's like that whole um, thing of like, should the male gaze land on me in a way that I find inappropriate and rage inducing, like I will probably like lash out. That's like, that's the emotional headspace I'm Ooh, at. It's murderous. Yeah. It's like it's sexy murderous. and murderous. <laughs> that's great. I'm a Scorpio. So I love that. Of course. That's um, good. So, okay. Any weekend plans? So yeah, I'm supposed to get um, initiated in, as a Reiki teacher. Right. 
this weekend. Yeah. That's the main thing. I'm I'm a little bummed because I feel like I'll be inside for a big chunk of it and it's gonna be so gorgeous here tomorrow. But some friends are having a rooftop dinner party, so I feel like I'll just like skate like if I can just get out go for a walk in the morning, get my Reiki on, and then go to rooftop for dinner. That'll be really cute. also already soaking beans, so it's like... (laughs) Already soaking the beans. Yeah, you already, like, doubled I committed. I committed. Um, So, okay, I know know you're a Scorpio, but you're also a Gemini moon. Yes. And to me, the way that manifests itself as someone who knows you is that, like, you are both the most future person I know, (laughs) but also you are into the most analog-ass like vintage shit like reiki and like herbalism (laughs) so like how like how did you come to there Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. oh this is a good question i also think my gemini moon manifests with like i can be very exterior but i really have to go interior or i turn into like the shadowiest version of myself Mm. like i really have to know my breaking points or my boundaries as like feeling like a more public facing person because of our pod it's like if i don't um, right. If the water gets on me after midnight, <laughs> the gremlin comes out. Right, right, right. That's like that's how that manifests. Um, but I think I feel like I don't know. You and I talk about this so much, but New York is so noisy, mm. and I don't even mean like on a decibel level. It's just like energetically, it's exhausting. Like I just always feel dehydrated. Right, and it's also city. this like it's funny that you feel dehydrated because it really is. It's like you moving around this space leaves you a little bit vulnerable to the thirst of others. And I know that idiomatically it's like, oh, LOL, thirst. But it's true. Like real. They sort of nip the moisture off of you. People want to slurp it up. I I mean, they just want to drink it down. And that's like the culture one too, which is I think there's so much. It used to be like, you know, see and be seen. And now it's like, I see you. You must acknowledge me. And like now reciprocate in the looking. and Right, like like, let's build fam. And like why? Like let it ride. Right. And actually we we do talk about this because there's almost like, it's like there's microaggressions and then there's like weird like micro let's build fam traumas where you're yeah. like what the hell was that? Yeah. <laughs> like, micro re- like micro recognition, micro I don't know, but it's like a s- acknowledgement. Like a stolen something. Yeah. No, um, it's it's brutal. So I think that's like the antidote for me is that I love offline time, but I don't you know, offline is it's such a weird privileged like state of being that doesn't exist for anybody but I think if I can do something where I'm just like cooking or like in the park or meditating even though when I meditate sometimes I'm like what's going on in my mentions <laughs> and then I'll confess everyone's like how to go I'm like oh, I keep thinking about Twitter and I'm like, it's okay. like I didn't gently push away my external exactly. thoughts yeah um were you always into like hippie shit though um I blame my parents for this I was remembering that when we were younger they were super like into books and like being outside and we weren't really allowed to watch a lot of TV until mm, I you think were one of those kids okay for a little while okay. and then I think they realized we we're getting a little like whacked out and I'd, I'd read a book about um carving keys and so I decided to like make keys out of tree branches which just meant I jammed all the locks like car locks house locks and my parents <laughs> just, were like, like splintered yeah WTF like and I was like well I just want to watch the Simpsons and they were like okay like fine and right, this is right, what right, it will right. you yeah, know yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> just like tamp down on this wild shit um yeah I it does make me feel really peaceful in a particular way um that makes me feel like I should trust it as a right. teacher and trust it as an outlet. Um, yeah. And to be like very um, brass tacks about it, like what is 
Reiki healing? I'm going to find out. It's yeah. like a, it's like a very well-kept secret. I mean, the idea is... That's, yeah. This is what I'm saying. It's like, it's a little bit like everyone's like, Pyramid-y, oh, yeah, yeah. Reiki, it's fine. Like, yeah, totally. Like, but That's why I'm a little like... When oh. we actually talk about it, it's mm-hmm. like, but what is? So there's... Okay, so in... Some of my research for this book project that I'm, I always talk to you about, about the body, um, I'd read a lot about turn of the century work around people who felt split within themselves. Mm. So like, Hello, Gemini Moon. Yeah. 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 So people who, you know, and I live in a scuba mask up here and not always fully in my body. And so when I started to understand that was a thing, I was like, okay, so how did early psychologists think about this or talk about it? And... I'd read that they one of the main treatments for trying to help people reconnect or get back into their bodies mm-hmm. was they had people um, I'm forgetting the name of the of the types of healers but they had people who would lay hands to move energy and like push them energetically back into themselves which is kind of how I view Reiki like whenever I've gotten any kind of Reiki, Reiki treatment it's all about like someone is just sort of funneling energy into you and it's one of those things like acupuncture where I'm like I don't get it but, it but I feel amazing yeah. after it's it's like the flow state you get after like soul cycle or that you get right after yoga it's like you just drop into a lot faster um and I will say like I've had Reiki healers look at me like put a hand on a knee and be like what's up with your lower back left third ver- like for third vertebrae lumbar you know whatever and I'm like ah how do you yeah, do it? like right. it's like weird yeah. so I feel you know into it no, that's amazing. And also, like, I get it. Like, you can mm-hmm. definitely be both, you know, yeah. like, hella future and also just, like, into the most fundamental thing. Because, like, maybe it's, like, it just, like, closes the loop where it's, like, yeah. you're, like it, that's, like, holistic vibes. Yeah. And I also feel like, I don't know, I feel like maybe there's a conversation to be had about how holistic our technology is. And I don't mean even, like, server farms and how much energy they're sucking up in, in like, Colorado right. somewhere, um, which is a real thing. But I mean, like, it, you know... We know we know how much lead is you know we know how much lead can't be in water. We know like toxicity levels for mercury in fish, right? But right. like, isn't there an emotional level of toxicity from Twitter or social media or so, you know what I mean? Oh my like, gosh, of course. Yeah, like this is this is what we always talk about that sort of law of conservation of energy or yes. mass. It's like yes. it's all going somewhere. Even yeah. again, like even beyond the sort of like you know terrestrial real Mm -hmm. IRL-ass thing about, like, server farms and, like, heat, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So just going going all the way back, um, you grew up outside of D.C. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Describe your childhood in terms of, we talked a little bit about TV already, but, like, books you read and food you ate. Oh, my God. (laughs) Paint me a picture. I love it. I love it. Oh, my gosh. Um, Okay. Circa... 91. I was really um, short and super chubby. I had like a pot belly. I'm giving the whole picture a pot belly and an afro. And I remember I had these like Sally Jesse Raphael glasses, bright red with like the ombre pink fade that I chose for myself. Lovely. Um, And I was super androgynous. And so as a result, I was really shy because moving through the world in that kind of a body, you both attract a lot of attention and confuse people. And Mm. so I remember very vividly like wanting to hide and be small. And so, and I was a bookworm. So I read all the time, but I read things like The Shining. (gasps) Right. As like a child. (laughs) Actually, there is something that you and I and we've never talked about it, but mm. we talk about, it, I think, the effects of it more. But, mm. like, I, too, was a chubby kid who, mm. like, for a while only wore, like, 
Garfield clothing. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> I am Garfield. Like, like. Wore a lot and like and like read a lot of like just all mythology that was like a phase oh, for me. <laughs> like, so, so cute. I love that. Yeah. That's probably why we found each other yeah. to be honest. <laughs> but yeah, so like this is this is who you were. Mm-hmm, and like mm-hmm. you know, how was it sort of moving around in that flesh suit? so weird and I now I'm like thinking so much more as I'm like leaning more into my queerness and my gender identity I'm thinking so much about when I was little like I would pass as a boy and I would yeah I was like super scrubby and like denim shorts and like definitely a shirt with like a Tasmanian devil on it like oversized (laughs) and people would be like oh what a cute little boy and like my mom would let it slide and my dad would always be like no go tell him you're a girl and I would be like no you know and like it was really really interesting but then you know I I don't know how I outgrew my shy phase. I feel like around 10 or 11, my parents went through a divorce and like all of their strict rules around like what we could eat, like not a lot of candy. We weren't allowed to watch junk TV, went out the window and I started watching like In Living Color. I was watching um, Cosby Show, Different World, Blossom. Like I was oh, like so weaned. Such a weaned. good time. Yes, yeah. like peak 90s TV. Yeah. Weaned on all of it. Um, and like, very cool because of it and I had all these older sisters who clued me into like Poison like White Snake, Michael Jackson so I had all the cool concert tees like Belle Biv DeVoe and so some at some point even though I was still like I wasn't cute but I became really like, popular dialed in yeah totally. I was super smart and dialed in yeah. and then that was like super fun because growing up outside DC was great like we would I mean the big thing to do when I was in high school was like to sneak into the clubs and go dancing but we weren't ever trying to drink we just wanted to like merengue like how precious <laughs> is that you know that's the best yeah totally <laughs> also like confusing but like really good for morale like if you're just in this like other club being like oh Oh, okay. Right, right. <laughs> Love it. Look Love at them, it. Yeah. You know. Um, were you good at school? Yes, I was so good at school. Okay. I was so good at like that those primary years. I feel like I was, you know, I don't know, I think I was a study in contrast that people liked. I think I was like pretty outgoing at that point. I was like cheerleader, but then also ran track. Like I was just very into doing a lots cheerleader. Of yes, I still have my uniforms. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, but okay. So, pink, <laughs> I'm having it like I'm like just like. Burr, did you see like my brain sort of yes, skits out? Yes. But okay. So, aerial view cafeteria. Which table are you at? Got it. All of them. Stop. I was like making Although, the course, rounds. Mercurial. I was making the rounds. Yeah. I was like, I, I also was such a science nerd. My high school was pretty small, and so I think that was part of it. And it was just clear there were cliques, but. The clique that nobody liked or wanted to be part of were like the field hockey girls, like the super white, annoying, probably they'd be like the mean girls, the plastics. Right. They were just like in their own weird world. They threw the best parties. We'd go to the parties and just be like, these white people, like y'all are wildin'. Um, And then the rest of it was just like, I don't know, we would like throw these big parties in people's basements. I remember like sneaking out of my best friend's house and going dancing. I think who was your best friend? Oh my God. And what table were they at? We rolled together. We were super ride or die. Um, Her name is, well, in middle school and high school, we called her LaVar, but her name's Nikki. She goes by Nikki. And she's like super Southern, also mixed. So that was like, we had the opposite. So her mom was black, her dad was white. Okay. I was flipped and we were like, buds her parents were super religious so in order for us to spend spend time together i had to spend friday night at their house observe the sabbath because they were seven day adventists and then just go to church my parents were like what the fuck they were just like we don't i'd be like because your parents are like intellectuals like kind of i mean i feel like they're 
definitely free freer thinkers, right. like creatives, but also just like not just like not religious. Right, Work right, for the government, right, right. like. But th- yeah, they read a lot. I mean, they were really like just about do it. But I think they were also very suspicious of institutions, right? Um, because hello, like yeah. yeah, yeah. So they were. I'd be like, I need church clothes, and my mom would be like, No, this is <laughs> fucked up. Um. But I also think that time in my life was really defined because my older sister got pregnant really young and mm. had my niece really young. So. Who I who is magic. Yes, who's who is the love of my life yeah. and her god her guide parent. But also, you know, she my sister had her at seventeen, so I was a co parent at fourteen. Right. And that really shaped me. Like my my vision was just so clear for high school, which was just like Basically, it's American Pie, but I'm not trying to lose my virginity. Like, I'm just trying to, like, like, elevate. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Level up. Just, like, level up and get out. Yeah. So I think that was, high school was really fun for me because my objective was so clear, which was, like, good grades, like, all the things and just, like, get a ticket out. Right, and you you had good enough grades and you did all the things and you get to UVA. Mm -hmm. And then what happens, though? Oh, my gosh. I completely just fall apart. Right, and... You've talked about this era in your life mm-hmm. as, you know, being kind of like socially disjointing and mm-hmm. like a little bit like, you know, you, you 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 like floundered a little, which is like shocking to anyone who mm-hmm. knows you in, insofar as that you're really good at like, you know, gaming situations mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. figuring out what the rules are and excelling at it. Like what happened at UVA? I was not equipped. I was not equipped for an environment where money and class and looking the part mattered more than authenticity. Like where I grew up, it's like, if you could hang, you were down. Like if you could hang with the Persian kids, if you could get into the clubs, if you could like throw a cute party. If you you could merengue. If you could merengue, (laughs) if you knew how to bachata. Like you were in, it was that easy, you know? And I think I went to UVA in a very naive way, but also like no one in my family had gone away to four-year school. So like I wasn't, I just wasn't even prepared academically. Like I didn't even have, even though I had, I graduated high school, like 10th in my class or something, UVA I could barely keep like a 1.0. I mean, it was just like a nightmare. How many colleges did you apply to? I applied to at least like eight or nine schools. Okay. And I got into a lot of them. But my parents were basically like, I mean, shout out to them. They were just like, you don't want to graduate with debt. Like this tuition was so low and I had a lot of financial aid and I got a lot of scholarships. They were like, you'll thank us for this. And they're right. I mean, my debt Mm. is like negligible. It's like I just, it's not something I have to worry about. Um, You know, actually, you're not the first person I talked to who struggled at UVA for these reasons. mm -hmm. Actually, funnily enough, Christina Tosi, the Mm -hmm. um, founder of Milk Bar, had the same thing where she was just like, the class shit kind of bugged her out. I mean, it's a place where you go and like you are confronted brutally and violently every single day with the history of slavery, the caste system in America and racism. I mean, they've turned slave cabins into the most prestigious housing on campus. And they talk about Mr. Jefferson's university and, you know, they're, they like make jokes about Sally Hemings and it's like, you know, that was rape. I mean, it's really like, it's really distressing. And and when I was there and even like the monument situation, the monuments and every, I mean, everything. And you're just like, you know, like kind of bubbled and then the bubble gets popped. I mean, the thing that I guess socially what I really noticed was how segregated things were. Like if you were black, this is where you lived. If you were white and, you know, I was coming from my high school. So I was like, I want to do everything. And so I was hanging out at the Spanish house. I'd go to the frat parties. But then, you know, I didn't do I didn't go to all the black parties. and I didn't go to church with all the like the black student union. And so it was like, oh, you're one of those. Like you go to the frat parties. Oh, and I had to recalibrate right. and be like, nah, 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 nah. I want to be involved in everything. But 
the years I was there, um, <laughs> this like econ professor was caught. Like he was like on mic about to give a lecture and was basically like said something really disparaging about like a woman, like a student, like and everyone like heard. I mean, it was just like there were these these really egregious instances of sexism and misogyny and racism. And it was just like, that's a lot par for the course. Do you think I mean, I I know that you did successfully graduate, but like barely and you're really <laughs> open about that. But mm-hmm. do you think college is necessary right now? Right now? No. I mean, if I could do it again, I probably would just move in with a cool older cousin or aunt and maybe just take classes. I mean, I, there is a socialization aspect that makes a lot of sense. And there is like a pedigree that helped me after I graduated that like, even if I had a terrible GPA, it was still like, oh, you went to the school that we know the name of that matters. It's like unlocks. It's some sort of passcode. I think for me, I'm, I'm really grateful because I the lesson I learned at UVA is so invaluable, which was just like none of this shit matters. Mm. Like you don't strive to get all the awards, you know, like you're not trying to um You can't punch just out. achievement unlock like Achie- that. Yeah. yeah, the advent calendar does not matter. Like you need to just <laughs> figure your own shit out and what matters to you. Um, and I met my people there. It's like I really Did met you? my really? people. Yeah, like huh. my, my day ones I met at UVA and like those are that's like my family, you know, and we <laughs> we had a secret society called Bachukmo that was just like we were all just like kind of gay and like figuring it out and we would like sneak into like gay bars and we would type out Jenny Holzer truisms and like (laughs) stick them over like index cards and it was very like charming and and you know it's funny because now looking back I thought we were like too cool for school and then I was like god we were so lame but a friend recently told me we've become friends post-graduation we weren't friends at UVA she was like no you guys were like rolling around town these like super hipped out black hippie vegans like gorgeous and glowing with your fucking green juices and your James Baldwin books and like everyone thought you guys were the shit and she was like and I wanted to be part of the crew and it was intimidating as fuck and so now I'm like hey okay we did something right that's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that whole like Romeo and Michelle thing, yes. but also like the whole like um, Liz Lemon in high school thing where like she has this mm-hmm. one memory, but everyone else has this other memory. <laughs> um, so I've described San Francisco as a place that happens when white people don't have enough natural predators. But <laughs> when you lived in San Francisco, you really, really liked it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so how did you go from outside of D.C., like Virginia area to San Francisco? And what was it like then oh it was so fun I um I have an aunt who is a very formative parent for me um my mom's my mom has so many sisters but it's like one of her older sisters <laughs> and she would split her time between San Diego and Virginia so when I graduated she brought me out to Cali we went to Mexico we just like did this whole thing and I just I know it was like badass she like, yeah, took I would me watch to Tijuana. that movie yeah <laughs> and like took me to a club and just like sat in a chair and like I like partied and it was awesome um but that really I felt a freeness there and I felt just like I don't know I was like open air malls what like it just was so different, <laughs> different. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that I was like what tacos like oh my god urban outfitters these are right. gorgeous like everything's amazing here and it really stuck with me so when I graduated I was just like I am done with school. I barely made it out alive. I didn't even, I didn't even dress up for graduation. It was so embarrassing. Like everyone was like decked out and I was just like in jeans. Like I didn't even understand like how to dress for graduation. That's how bad I was at college. Um, So I worked all summer. I was a waitress all through college and then I pulled, I worked at three sister restaurants all summer. So just like pulling back to back double headers. 
which was fun, like Denner Dash, full stop, and saved up some cash and then loaded up a truck and went west. And it was amazing. And I think for me, it was really important to just take some time off from after high school and college. I just wanted to chill. I wanted to party in every sense of the word. And just like be away from the stuffiness of the East Coast. True. You know, I just didn't want to worry about whether or not I was going to go to med school or law also, school. Also, like the thing about like the whole like the East Coast that you lived is that it is like there are like a lot of genteel Southernish things attached yes. to that flavor of East Coast. For sure. Yeah. And For so sure. like West is like antithetical to that. Just yeah. like not to like literally quote the Dixie Chicks when it's like wide open spaces like it you were like <laughs> you're like I'm gonna go like just near water and like for sure yeah and I got a taste of that kind of life in Charlottesville because Charlottesville is very bucolic it's it has a very rich tradition of the arts and like there's the huge you know a lot of photographers a lot of writers George mm. O'Keefe was like has a house there I mean there was a lot of culture there that I wanted to experience I felt New York was a little too undercarriagey for me. Like I, I wouldn't. <laughs> what like nether regiony? Like? <laughs> like I would have been crowned to dust and like started oh up and just like God. that's it. I would have just like dried out. Um, and I felt like California might hold something different. Well, it's a it's like a big sky sort of situation. It's a big sky, yeah. And yeah. Then the topography is really different. Also, San Francisco, it's like, hmm, should I go to Jurassic Park? Like, it's just right. like, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Right. And in college, I, you know, I really started experimenting with psychedelics there and I really got into like um like farm to table stuff which is super mm. now the norm but you know back in the 2000s it was really new and I worked at this restaurant that you know we catered at vineyards and we would go and we would cater and then they would like be loading up the trucks with like all these fruit and veg from rural Virginia and then it would they would cook it in the restaurant and so for me I was like starting to get a sense of there's another way of living and you asked earlier like what did I eat growing mm. up and like you know, my parents would make like country fried steak, like ham and eggs, like biscuits and gravy, like shit on a shingle. Yeah, you know? we talked like about SOS, shit on a shingle. You know? yeah. and, and like that was a fine way to eat. But like I also now as an adult, I have a lot of I'm, I'm aware I have a lot of lactose issues, like a lot of, you know, gluten sensitivities. And these weren't things that my parents really had a vocabulary for. So I was like I had such a weird relationship to food culture because they would make like a big pot of greens, like fried chicken. And I would be like, yay. And then I'd be really sick <sighs> right. and be like, what's going on? You know, um, so when I was in Virginia, I started to get a sense of like, okay, this is like different. I like this, this foodie culture, which felt adjacent to hippie culture a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then I got really into psychedelics. And for me, that was like the ultimate achievement unlocked because my, my parents are really affectionate. My family's really affectionate, but emotionally, I think there's a lot of stuff. Both my parents grew up in really rural areas of the South. I think there's a lot of trauma that doesn't get processed my right. dad was in Vietnam like I just think there are things that aren't talked about and I grew up with that sort of weight or that that ambient just thing absolutely yeah. and like I don't have the tools to even access how I feel and mushrooms like oh my god I mean you know it just like totally you're just like weeping at the beauty of life constantly. oh totally so San Francisco is very natural it's like food drugs I'm good <laughs> <laughs> yes but then y what happens is you're working in restaurants you're doing fine mm -hmm. 
And then this Wired situation sort of pops up. Yes. And well, so, Mary, you know, I, I interned everywhere in San Francisco. I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like to read SFist as SFist. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes, like, my eyes will just, like, go over that. I'm like, of course Jenna worked there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um But I do, I'm interested in this whole duality again with the fact that like you had to keep all your restaurant jobs in order to like intern, in order to even like work there. Yeah, it was was infuriating. What did that actually feel like? What what kind of toll did that take on your like, granted young, but your body nonetheless? Um, I mean, I have worked as as long as I've had a work permit so which you can get like 15 or 16 in Virginia so but I think it was really um I don't know it was really demoralizing sometimes and I think a lot about one internship I had in particular at San Francisco Magazine like burn it out I'm just kidding like like Angela Bassett no but I, I remember you know I really enjoyed my time there but you know I remember like getting kind of shady looks for having to leave like right at 4:45 or like right at five o'clock and you know these are internships where sometimes you're just like sitting in a room all day like fielding emails or like and sorting stuff these are internships where you're also just a few years older than everyone because right, right yeah right and and of course they're not paid but and you have to like bring your lunch or buy your lunch and it's like a really did you feel that sort of upstairs downstairs like class shit that nobody ever talks about in america a little bit, a little bit. Because, I mean, by dint of, like, not only the title, because, like, interns are always, like, highly disposable, but, mm-hmm. like, you know, the intern plus, like, a slight asterisk of the notion that you're, like, hi, like, I do still need a day job while doing this. Yeah, I think it was really apparent in our intern class because most people didn't work. They either lived with their parents or they had external funding resources. Yeah. yeah, they were just, like, mysteriously well off. And I remember... You know, there was one and I, I cycled through because I kind of felt like I knew I wanted to work in magazines. I wanted to like feel it out. So I, this was like my third or fourth internship. So I felt like old hat and I was just sort of like trying to see what kind of writing I liked doing if I could write it all. And I felt like a good go getter. Like I was like writing pitches like I was using my time when I was there. But I remember this moment where, you know, I guess the powers that be got hip to the fact that like some of us had to work. There was like one other person that had to had to work in our intern class. And they were like we're going to give a, we're going to offer a stipend to like one person in, in the class. And it was like, whoa, like everyone was like, this is so cool, you know? And of course they gave it to the like person of the most means. Ugh. And it was, and because she was like, I guess they felt she was the most talented. Right. Because course, she had all this time. She had all this time. Yeah. And of course she doesn't write today. Like I have Googled her recently and I'm like, you know, it's like, it's like interesting. Better to Google than to have a Google alert set for them. <laughs> yes. Growth. Casual stalking, not passive stalking. Um, so I felt it. I really felt it. But I also, I guess I didn't care because I also felt so deeply supported by the restaurants where I work. Shout out to Sauce SF because they really, they really believed in what I was trying to do and were like willing to give me the more lucrative like evenings on the ship. You know what I mean? They yeah. were like, okay, like work this special party, like coming on this day. And I feel like, you know, it was like three dudes from Boston who are brothers who just, of I, course, because it's called Sauce. <laughs> because it's called Sauce. And they just held me down. And I, it was like, they were so, it's like funny and, and it's like weird, you know, but they were so home away from home and they, every Thanksgiving, like we would have dinner with their family and they were just like down. And I, I felt like 
they were so hard scrabble and like hustling themselves that it made me just put it into context where it was just like some people have to work harder than others and like I'm gonna win because I'm better you know like I'm smarter and more interesting but it was it was it like really sat under my skin for a long time mm. but also that kind of equips you I feel like yeah for like that propulsion Game that kin- face. yeah that kinetic energy that yeah. just jets you forward um so what was different about wired insofar as that you were an intern there but then you like oh, was yeah. in the re- research department and then yeah, you were just yeah. like on blog patrol <laughs> totally <laughs> totally that's it and it's it's um, funny because it's like i i met you when you were at the times but i know you as such a wired person because i had a column there mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so many people were kind of like in your same like quote unquote blogging class mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I just have so much like font like I just Mm -hmm. taxonomically for a while in the beginning of our friendship I thought of you as a wired person so what was different about wired it's funny because the wired was the the one place I was like oh I can do this like it's the it's the one internship that made sense because before I'd been doing like writing about local socialites and like the food scene and like just stuff that's not really my purview or like trying to identify like write about art or like arts culture and I'm just like nah I'm not a critic like I'm, I mean I'm becoming trying to become more of one now but at the time I was like I barely graduated like I didn't read the Odyssey I don't even know how to pronounce this word like it was just a lot and so when I got to Wired it felt really obvious that a lot of my latent interests really overlapped with their interests and I I would never have thought of myself as like, I mean, I knew I was a nerd as a kid because I was called that all the time, but I didn't realize that the culture that I'd really grown seeped up in with, you know, especially because of my dad, like Star Wars, Star Trek, like, I mean, stuff that now we recognize too. It's like weird that we think of that as like predominantly nerdy culture because it is so. It's been it's so like, commodified and mainstreamed. Yes, and mainstreamed, of course. Yeah. And it like idealizes a very particular type of, of set of interests that interest largely men. But, um, I don't know. I think there was part of me that was very into like the science angle of it, like Wired. You know, I think back then they were doing a lot more like new discoveries, new stuff. And I love Wired. I mean, the reason why I I wrote for them and I mean, the reason why I wrote for them is because they asked me and I was like so geeked. But Mm -hmm. like, you know, even going to the office and seeing like the the rainbow gradient of all the magazine spines over time, like since like because they were like chronicling such a huge movement yeah it's like not inception but like for i would say like the glut of it you know and so that's like a really special place to work for sure and it was so alt it was so alt and that's what people kind of don't really appreciate that like Like, i remember like a really early issue i don't even remember what i was like looking through it i was like there's like a local like glasses like a sunglasses ad in here and like Jenny Shimizu's in it and yeah, I was like it's yes, like so yes. San Francisco you know what I mean like yeah so that's like beautiful but like that's well, kind of where you became a writer though totally yeah. totally well like true early internet was like you know it used to be synonymous it wasn't like always Facebook and like walled gardens whatever it was like online sex and like cyber sluts and shit. Yeah, robots totally. and like who knows what you know and, and it's it, so funny because like futurists then are like were such different like yes. things you yes. know it wasn't so like about like what is the algorithm gonna do tomorrow or whatever or like uploading your brain I mean it was about that but it wasn't <laughs> yeah, just like the but it was wavier it was yeah. much wavier yeah it was cooler it was freakier it was freakier it was more I mean, like lawnmower man than like yes. yeah totally and the and the the you know the 
I guess the mythologies of that time too were like Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak taking acid in India and like thinking right. about computers. Garages. Yeah, totally. Not just like wearing the same outfit every day. I mean, they did that too, but it wasn't like... It, it was less <laughs> Issey Miyake turtlenecks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it was just like a different thing. And so you become a writer there and you have... um, I guess like... The universe is lucky because you fall into this place where you can express yourself in interests that were like germane to your like fundamental ingredients. And so like, you know, I I was listening to your long form podcast and you were talking about how like Jason Tans, who was an editor there at the time, was like, you know what? You were helping to like report a story and, mm-hmm. and he was like, you know what? You can do this. For sure. And that was kind of this like, moment of reckoning for you where you were able to identify without like imposter syndrome because by then you had worked so diligently in reporting and researching and Mm -hmm, fact checking mm -hmm. and all that stuff and you were like oh my gosh like I I can do this but isn't it weird I mean you've talked about this too but isn't it weird that we needed someone like a man to tell us calling it that you know and it's funny because in that same podcast I heard you checking yourself about this notion of what's lucky mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because at the end of the day it's just like who even so words like lucky and permission it really just erases your agency mm-hmm, and it mm-hmm. erases your motivation like and talent and talent and yeah. like i guess my question to you is like were you an ambitious person there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah exactly for sure. i mean i even when i landed in sf i was like yeah i'm gonna do this for like a year you know like just waitress like I knew I wanted to do more and you know you had to get your war chest up I really had to get my war chest up I had to get my mana back up I had to like replenish the the stores yeah (laughs) I mean I remember too like I mean I had no money when I got to San Francisco like I had I was living with a partner at the time who was much older and we we support each other and, and he's a big part of the reason too I became a writer and like because he was like do this thing like I got us you know like I'll work more so you can do this thing and like it was really special to have that because I didn't have that financial support for my family it was like a partner who was like I believe in you um but I remember I have these like really pleasant memories of like (laughs) just playing World of Warcraft like we would just like buy wine and like hang out and play wow because we couldn't afford to go out but it was so satisfying and I think like I didn't realize that that kind of cultural pop cultural knowledge made me like ideal for someone who could work at Wired because Blizzard games make blockbuster money, you know? So Mm. it's like that kind of shit where I was just like my natural interests suit this place. And so once I kind of realized too, like I'm a keen observer, like I'm good at this. Um, That was like a big turning point for me too. It was Jason Tans, but also like... Right, and that's the thing. It's like you're good at this, but also these interests are like native to what your curiosity sort of like enjoys versus like an affectation which a lot of the time Mm. people who do find themselves doing like particular beats find themselves it's kind of like that's interesting it's kind of like why i like cardi b as a rapper yes because like (laughs) she will say something and i'm like yes you were such a new york person and then i'm like yes you were such a rap person yes yes you can tell if someone's like putting on the mantle of like rap culture versus someone who like loves it and has loved mm-hmm. it for a very mm-hmm. very long mm-hmm. time and so that's what I appreciate about you your oh. credibility but um <laughs> so like what happens that you um go to the times because there's this period oh in which there's this period <laughs> in which you're being courted by the times but you're not necessarily aware of it right right and right. this the, the way that manifests is that you're basically just 
like asked a lot of questions yeah about, we like, just go out to dinner cool. like, all and, the time yeah, and then you're like <laughs> sure and like they're charging it to the game whatever whatever but were you getting paid is that not a consultancy and would right. you do that now you know because now Ooh. now you know you you That's know so, and so the yeah. cost the cost benefit analysis too is that you wound up being groomed for mm-hmm. this job mm-hmm. but at the time you didn't know yeah it was like beyond my even um hmm i mean i think it did function to build a camaraderie with a very different caliber of type of people that I would have to work with very intimately. So it's one thing to be a wired with like Chris Baker, who's like cool as hell and just like, who's the editor there. And then you're just like rapping about like whatever TV show, or you're just like talking about Firefly or whatever the fuck, you know what I mean? And then it's another thing to be like, oh, these are people who have like MBAs and triplicate that I now have to like pitch ideas to. And so I think that process did help me acclimate without really realizing it. And I also wonder if that was part of their process too. But I also know that a big part of it is I was supposed to be like kind of a, like a tech Kirsten Dunst, you know, like they wanted to see how cool I was a little bit and like, what thing are you going to, like what joie de vivre thing are you going to bring to the times? And I, I think that was a little bit of a part of it too. Um, I would do it now though, because I really do think so much of success comes from health of relationships and some in some ways mm. like you can't control the health of a relationship and sometimes it's toxic and there's nothing you can do about it but I know that my most fruitful partnerships and collaborations are they work because the dynamic between the people work mm. so I don't know it's a funny question because we talk about how People a lot of the time ask both of us, especially oh, yeah. men, yeah, like yeah, cis yeah. white men. They'll they'll do like one of two things. One, they'll be like, "Hey, do you have time to do this thing?" Mm-hmm. Knowing full well that you do not have mm-hmm. the time, and then follow up with, "Do you know someone who can?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for both of us, we know what that means. It's like for me, it's like okay, I know what the price range is that mm-hmm, you're looking for. Mm-hmm. I know what sort of sort of you know glitter factor you're looking for, voice based. Um, possibly a minority, definitely a female. Like for you, it might be like a woke, black, totally. possibly queer. Like yeah. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. these are the sort of things that they want to rummage your Rolodex for. Or it's this thing of like, I am launching this TK white Oof, man disruptor TK. Yeah. <laughs> um, I really, really Ugh. need to squat up. Who mm. should I hire? Yeah. yeah. And we've both complained about this, like both on social media and just personally, because these are are these things different mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and like how do you a like how do you a charge for that yeah or what do you say and oh, like yeah all this of that is my favorite topic so okay so i should be clear that the stuff with the times was felt different it felt different because a lot of the stuff we talked about never came to pass because i had no idea what i was talking about or or i did but it wasn't stuff that could be you know sausage into a time story mm, like so it like, didn't this feel thing like it's cool like, so it wasn't like the edit test that all those ideas show up in right, the next issue right right right, like, right. never and it, I that mean, happens even like my memo I had to write like none of those ideas I ever wrote like that's every you know what I mean like every job I've had the times I've like you know progressed through levels there and been like here are my ideas and like they never they they never make it to print so it felt a little bit different there and the distinction too is that these are people you didn't know before right and I also didn't know any better but now it's funny because I get really really aggy because I you know of course I always want to put people on but I'm also like if you tweet the job link I'll retweet it like I just can't do that work and sometimes I'll be like 
you know, you should hire a recruiter. Like you should just hire a recruiter. Like you shouldn't outsource this to me. And I'll kind of lecture them a little bit. But then I will say like, show me the job listing. I'll spread it around. But I just, I don't want to be in that position. And I think it's kind of maddening how much it still happens. And sometimes I'll say to people, I mean, I know I can't consult because I'm a journalist at the Times, but I'll be like, oh, is this a consulting gig? People will be like, oh, I want to talk to you about this new thing I'm launching. I'm like, oh, are you trying to hire a consultant? Like I'll be very specific about the ask. Mm. And they usually just stop responding after that. Okay, so you're not even like, here's like a, like a price menu of what that would cost you if I were to come on as a consultant. Right. Cause it's, I guess it couldn't oh, you, get that far from me. Yeah. yeah but totally. I do want them to understand that like this thing you think you're being really smart and woke about is actually, there's a real price tag att- attached to it. Right. So <sighs> the second, so this goes on for a, a while and mm-hmm. then they offer you a job. Mm-hmm. You famously say no mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because of imposter syndrome issues. Yeah, yeah. But then once you get in the door, this interesting thing happens where you are suddenly tasked with, despite the fact that you were hired because you were really, really good at knowing what's zeitgeisting and like the sort of cultural temperature of pop culture, they want you to be a telecoms like <laughs> business reporter. <laughs> And Mm -hmm. so that means basically like Verizon wireless earning statements and stuff. But it was a crazy boot camp. It's a right. But actually, like, how did you not like languish there and die doing that? And how did you not rage quit the second you realized what was going on? Well, you know, I think that like the hazing worked. Like I was sort of like emotionally tied to these people and I had no money. I mean, I had no money. So I was just like, uh, so you were trapped. I was trapped. I mean, I was, I don't even know what my starting salary was, but I had no money and I felt like I didn't like, what was I going to do? So, and then again, it's like, I like being a worker bee. I felt like it was a really interesting opportunity. I was such a sore thumb. I remember like going to express outlet somewhere in New York. Buying like and trousers? Like, like, I bought trousers. Oh my God, and, like, I've done cute. that slacks move. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I like the part. And then that was like, so dehumanizing actually because it was just not me um but at some point I kind of started to see I feel like it's like the you know in the in the movie montage like the path lights up it's like the the protagonist is like Dorothy's like I don't know what to do and they like look and they're like oh there's a keyhole right right I just need a sign 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 right oh um and again I was just like I think I can hustle this in a way that makes sense for me and I have to say like you know, it was a weird gift because I would roll into these meetings and, you know, I had like the beginnings of my tattoo journey, you know, on my body. And I got more and more comfortable wearing just like a blazer and like leggings, UO, leggings yeah. and like a cute little like slouch tee and like studded boots and rolling up to like the head of like AT&T and just be like, yeah, I'm, I'm here to interview you. And them having to do the double take and then like check themselves. And I think it did give me this like armor. Yeah. Like you said it before, mm. like I did get this kind of confidence like you you don't have to respect me but I'm your way in like you have to respect what I'm doing right and that was really helpful and then also just learning how to read expense reports and like learning how to read like investment statements like I just I feel like understanding how money moves that's the long con yeah yeah. that shit is like you start getting so good like even now i'll listen to like facebook's earning calls and i'll be like oh i know what this fucker's up to like i just it's fun like i like it and it really is like soothsaying mm-hmm. it's like it's like moving to where the ball's going because mm-hmm. it's always where the money's at that's like it's, the projection and yeah. that's a long con and that's the thing too like i think 
for me, it's like never been about the app or the tech. And it's funny, like today I was at the beach and I was with a friend who was like, turn on your airdrop. And I was like, I don't even know where that is. Like, I don't know. What, I, don't, I barely know what that is. And they laugh like, weren't you a tech reporter? And I was like, yeah, but I'm not out here worrying about this feature or like whatever. I'm, I'm trying to look at the big picture. And I think that was that's always I, my take. I my love approach. that you don't know airdrop. <laughs> I mean, it was on there. It wasn't working on, like on her phone. humanizing <laughs> thing. Just, I'm just putting that out there. Yeah. Um, so you have a gargantuan Twitter following. It's like 750,000. Um, <laughs> but like, so does like casually, that, you're like, I just checked. Yeah, I did. Um, does that spaceship ever feel unwieldy? Mm. You know, we, we got That's the a leading question. Well, I mean, just like that Uncle Ben thing with great power comes, you know, you know, like <laughs> responsibility, like, <laughs> And also, like, how many DMs does that mean? Mm. Like, do you have push notifications on? Can Never. you possibly? God, no, no, like, no. You know, of course, the battery no. suck alone. Like, Jeez. But what does that actually feel like on your shoulders? Because mm. it's also different. Like, you know, mm. I know that, like, a Jenner will have TK mm-hmm. million, but mm-hmm. that's a very different thing because the expectation is different. And we know that you are steering this mm. and, like, what that implies. Yeah, I wonder if there is like ever a Twitter reckoning how many of those followers would vanish. I think there, I think there's like a reaping that could happen um, with like dead accounts, just and, a gleaning. Yeah, I think <laughs> a it, cash glean. Like a, what's the what's it called with the um, the purge? <laughs> the purge, but then also when like all the people are like sucked and they get to go to heaven, like the leftovers, and then like the what's the term? The Protestants. Oh no, I talk about this all the um, time. Um, the the rapture. The sorry. rapture. Oops, yeah, totally. There's a rapture. They're all gone. I think. Um, Twitter doesn't freak me out as much as Instagram does because Twitter still feels like live journal like Twitter is like blogging and it's just like (laughs) us reading it like it's not it's either like and all the little enclaves of Twitter are just so fun to look at and I feel like I don't exist in any of them except for like New York media Twitter which is so paltry and like it's so Mm. tiny for us I mean it's no I'm gonna let you have that (laughs) because you might need that for your own like (laughs) self-preservation but in, in terms of the scale of like something going viral like um yeah, like the Steve Irwin, the Bindi Irwin, the Bindi tweet. Irwin tweet. Like, that's like a scale like I can't even touch. You know what I mean? So like, that's not my life on Twitter. So that feels okay. What kind of freaks me out a little bit sometimes is like the push pull of deciding when I'm going to feed the fish tank on on Instagram, and then like today posting a picture of myself looking cute at the beach because I wanted to rep. Like I'm that at Rockaways first. Really proud of you. I know that was like the ill like. The drop. Board, like the that was first, my that was my like, Cardi totally. B like <laughs> mic drop invasion of Rockaways. That's why I should have put totally. the caption. But you know, it was I think like the responses to that are can be weird. And like, you know, I look at the other inbox, which I don't want people to know because I never respond really. Um and it's it's strange. Like I think I'm 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 sometimes like don't know how to feel about do you do that like decline all move? I, I don't because sometimes people respond and say like, oh, this episode of the pod got me through a really tough time and I want to be able to be like, thank you for listening. You know, I think so that's you do important. respond. I do respond if it's like earnest, not when, oh my God, I got the best DM slide though the other day where this dude sent me in the other inbox it was like a picture of a weightlifter and was like, yeah, like about to bench 250 bitches. And then the next response was like, or the next message was like, I'm so sorry, madam. Like, this was not meant to go to you. Blah, blah. <laughs> I screenshot it. I was like, this is so cool. I didn't respond, but I was like, this is awesome. Right, you and don't have to sweet. like feel this lame, but LOL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Um, but okay, given your Twitter, and it is, it is a, like a f- floodlight in certain ways. Um, why is your article from 2016 
Black Health Matters pinned to the top of your feed? Oh, my gosh. That's a piece I really care about. Yeah. Describe that article. That's a piece I care about. Um, It's about the stress and trauma of ingesting news about Black death and oppression and what it can do to a body and how people are trying to take care of it. And I think now there's starting to be a conversation about that, right? And like Linda Villarosa for the Times Magazine has a piece out about the rates of the rates of um, black babies diet, extraordinarily high rates. Totally. And that number hasn't changed for 50 years. So the question is why? And structural racism, like medical negligence, there's all these things that go into it. But a lot of it is also just like stress and trauma of the world. And, and people are starting to write about, you know, like Erica Garner dies at like really young age and like the woman from Linda Brown dies at like 75. And, and so I think we're just starting to have this conversation. But that's a piece that's like something I'm eager to write about and acknowledge. And I also feel like there are way too many white people in my life who are just like, when I do like an emo IG post or IG story post, they're like, what's wrong? And I'm, I'll be like, see my pinned tweet. Like, really? Like, I'm like, right. just this so you like know. This is like sustained wrong. Yeah. Yeah. That you like carry. Right. I mean, because that's the thing. It's like the toll on bodies of like PTSD. So high. And like sustained PTSD, sustained <sighs> hypervigilance. And also just that like tenseness of break, like, preemptively bracing for the next death mm-hmm. or like what's gonna happen when like i hear the whoop whoop is my car getting pulled over like what you know what's the deal and and you know you asked earlier like about herbalism i mean for me like that piece kind of gets into it a little bit because i was having like wild outbreaks of eczema wild like i had a carpus like i had like i had to knock myself out with benadryl for three days i thought i had zika and it was so funny because my i was like texting my whatsapp group like the symptoms and I just come back from Puerto Rico and they're like, girl, you're good. Take Benadryl, take a nap, blah, blah, blah. And then I woke up and they had written like, it's definitely Zika. We're having this conversation. Stop. About, yes. Do not go to the yes. WhatsApp. That's like the worst yes. than like WebMD. Like yes. going to the WhatsApp with your symptoms is but, always, yeah. always. But they were like, they didn't think I was on the thread. They're like, oh, our bad. We thought this is a private thread. Oh, stop. And I was like, so that's uh, how you know. <laughs> like, is it real? Like, what am I going to do? This and is the actual truth. This yeah. is the actual trauma. And that was the moment too. I started taking my health a lot more seriously. And that's when I was like, fuck Western medicine. I mean, not entirely, but but I was also just like, you aren't treating me. Right, 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 right. Your medicine does not endure. Like, yeah. yeah. You're not really worried about what's ailing me. So That and also like your mono consciousness is probably like what's yeah. treating the symptoms. And like, yeah. I actually need more layers. I need more layers. I and need it has more to layers. be sustained. It's yeah. like, it's much more of a, an approach. You know, I'm all about the baths and the yoga and the acupuncture and the Reiki. It's like, no, sure. it's like a 360 plan. So, okay. Point. Um, you do have like a large platform just like with social media and also the times, but the ethics of deciding which signals to amplify. Oh yeah. Like that's coming up more and more like as people, as the world's changing, as, as we're getting older, Mm -hmm. as we are coming into like different kinds of success. Like, have you ever had a moment where you were like, did I shine too big a light on the wrong thing? Mm. And what was that moment for you? Whoa, this is a really good question. I think actually for me what happens is like, should I have should I have like used the light? And I didn't. Mm. Because I just don't really get that engaged, especially on Twitter. Um, yeah, that's a really, really, really good question. Have I ever regretted signal boosting? Um, 
Especially yeah. vis-a-vis, like, you know, especially now, too, like, with yeah. all these tech giants be- becoming yeah. not only giants, but also, like, Well, that's being, the real question. Right. I have a lot of guilt around around that. Like, and I think that was a big part of why I had to take a step away from my job because it was, or my job as a business reporter, because I started to wonder about what does it mean? Like, I, I've always been interested in writing about the ways we interact with each other and how it's evolving. And like, I'm obsessed with human connections and, and communication and intimacy and like the ways it's fostered, especially as someone who I do have a lot of social anxiety. So like our friendship, it's like, it's such a huge relief that I can always like leave you a voice note. It's like those things are lifelines to me. But in writing about that culture, sometimes I didn't write about the larger impact or you know, it's like we didn't even start having the conversation until recently about gender disparity or like sexual harassment at Google. And it's like those are things we haven't been able to write about also because we didn't know about it. But I, I definitely f- like started to be like, you know, I'm, I'm writing about the same kind of person over and over again. And mm-hmm. like these are the same kinds of people that are obviously having like billion dollar IPOs and like something's not adding up. And I want it like something in the milk's not clean. Shout out Michael K. But like I need to take More a step in- back. Yeah. Because you don't have all the information. And, and the like, job wasn't conducive to that because it's just like you're just writing about the trends and like the business. and Right. And like zeitgeisting, newness, mm-hmm, like totally. Mm-hmm. So speaking of like shining a light or like visibility, your face is so much more prominently mm-hmm. out there since like mm-hmm. still processing. <laughs> and I wanted to know like what does that actually feel like? from the inside of it because still processing your podcast for the New York Times has been going on for about two years mm-hmm. and yeah you're like you and Wesley are very front and center with your faces mm-hmm. with your queerness mm-hmm. with your blackness like what does that feel like from the inside where you're now suddenly very very recognizable it's funny oh my god <laughs> so oh, I, I met the person who retouches our photos recently and he was like I got it just right and I was like you could photoshop it up more like and he, like you know Benjamin buttoned my ass and he was like no no it's good it's good it was so funny was, and then actually I did get a more photoshopped <laughs> thumbnail and I was like thank you um because I was like, oh, I want that fresh and clean complexion. Right. Dewey, 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 Dewey. Yes, like yeah. up the dew. What's the slider? Just like a hundred, <laughs> please, for wetness. But like, um, that was a conscious decision. You were like, yeah, it's I, really I made that important choice. Yeah, I made that choice. For your voices and this platform yeah. to be identified with who you guys are yeah. walking around in the world. Yeah, and we were the first original NYT podcast to come out of the new podcasting initiative and I felt like it was really important for people to see our faces because my experience reading the times growing up and I didn't really read the times growing up it was like you know in college I had friends who got the paper delivered and that was like my exposure in the magazine it didn't feel like something that black people had to stake in and you know I guess I'm just invested in that like I'm really really invested in that place not feeling off limits for people like me and I didn't really think it through, but when you didn't think it, through. I didn't think it through. Really? I didn't think it through. And I wanted our, fa- I wanted our faces. And I, I had, a, I had an idea of what I wanted the, th- the album art, they call it to look like. Um, and I just wanted like our faces on like a really pretty background. Is it because you didn't know it would be yeah. this? And I didn't know that they would take out house ads. Like I didn't know we would have like homepage banners. Like that's fucking no, weird. No, I see y'all all the time. I'm like, Ooh, I would want well, like, uh, it's. Kinda- <laughs> it feels like yeah. it feels as pervasive as like a TV show where I'm like, wow, like I would. Well, my, my sentiment is like, wow, I would watch a show because mm. I obviously listen to it. But yeah, what kind of emotional and like psychological scaffolding did you have to have in yeah. place before 
you were like, I'm going to deal with this level of exposure or totally. that you've put up in place yeah. to sort of buttress this. Oh, my God. I mean, I'm still working through that. Right, right. God's I mean, working all this. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I don't know, because it, right now it still feels like currency. Like, it still feels like it looks like power and it looks like success. So it's working for us. I mean, it hasn't it hasn't turned against us yet. The, the monster is still under control. <laughs> so it feels okay. I think for me, it's more just like learning how to walk that fine line of... I mean, a great example, I was at yoga yesterday and I was like namaste like walked in and was like just like did my drop you know like in mm-hmm. the zone and this woman would not stop talking to me about the show and it wasn't like she was like oh my god i love everything you do and i was just like i did the little like you know thank you i really appreciate that and then kind of turned my back which i felt like was a very clear, clear. signal mm-hmm. that i was getting ready for yoga and she kept talking and i was like okay this is like a decision tree, choose an adventure. It's like, I can be really mean to her and like, you know, like really cold. And then, but then I'm like the, there's no scenario in which I'm like the good person in this, but, or I can subject myself to this, which also isn't fair to me either. Like, so it's like this weird trade-off I'm like always trying to do. I think I'm, I'm starting to become really okay with boundaries. It's like, it was really nice talking to you, but I'm going to go get dressed now. Like I'm, I've just become like an Uber communicator. But you're really, I mean, we were just talking about this earlier, that it's almost like being the dude from high maintenance where you're very clear about what the situation is. And you're very yeah. clear about what you want and what, what's going to happen next. But like, I've actually been with you. We were at South by Southwest where we were crossing the street. There was like traffic and someone stopped you for an elevator pitch. But that's like, that's like seeing Mickey Mouse at Disneyland. That's like so different. Cause no, but you were very clear. Oh, and what did were, I do? You were, you were actually like, thank you so much. But if you want to talk to me, you're going to have to actually like create a time and space for that to happen mm. it's not right now but thank you like your mm-hmm. idea mm-hmm. sounds great from what I can hear oh, and then good. you kept it moving so you were classy it, were, it was very classy but very clear and I had never seen a no leave everyone feeling really emo mm. about the situation as <laughs> as I did in that moment and yeah. so I feel like you're very I th- feel like you've been good at this for a minute. Oh, word. That's, that makes it feel good to hear because I had a funny moment recently. Where I was like out kind of late with a friend and it was it was a little bit of an intimate encounter. And this woman like stopped and like I, I have a very low tolerance for strangers hands on my body. So that's like where I get really like touchy. So this woman puts her hand on my shoulder and like pushes me back and it's like starts talking. Mm. And I was just like, it's really nice to meet you, but this is not the time. You know, and it, that was like maybe the meanest thing I've said to someone in that way. But it felt really good. And she apologized. I was just like, it's, you don't have to apologize. Right, because like, it's, it's fine. Other people don't know. Yeah, it's right. fine. But it was so... So that's like, I think the way that people feel very entitled to my attention is, is new and like, well, I don't like it. That's the thing. It's like feeling entitled to your attention is... I Not like, I'm, I'm not saying that this is like the trade-off or no, whatever but it is but it, but it really when is. you come out and you say i'm black i'm queer totally. these are the things i'm into that feels like not a vulnerable mode but like that feels like you giving these particular pounds of flesh to your public right yes and so anytime anyone identifies with those factors let alone all of them word, word. they really really try to like yeah I got you yeah but that's different though okay so I was in Trader Joe's with but there's so many so how do you how do you do that if you are black and queer 
and like like a young woman, I'm like, let's hug, da da da. Like, and so and it is different. It is different, and mm. I feel like too. Like I was in Trader Joe's with Becca McCarran, our friend, and it was like Friday night. We were so cool, like shopping at TJ's, and this girl was like, hey, and she starts doing like the nene, and I was like, hey, you know, and she's like, I love your show, and it was just so. And I feel like too, like the thing about all those Venn diagrams is that person is like also conditioned to take up the least amount of space. I'm talking about like this woman at the bar it was like 2 a.m. She was like an older white woman. She was just like very intentional. Like I want you to know I support you and I was just like this is so not cool like so it's so not about the points that you want me to give you, you about seeing gonna, me I'm not giving you a gold star for yeah. workness right now like that drives me crazy but when it, like I do get a lot of young people who come up to me and are just like this shit this is like dope and I'm like okay like thank you like that that actually makes me feel really good because this show is so much work and it's just like tacked on to our other jobs so I know you're doing so many jobs presently so um (laughs) on that note tell me about Black Futures what what is it Ooh, well Black Futures in its current iteration is a book project that's a visual anthology that's trying to ask the question or answer the question I guess both things what does it mean to be black and alive right now and we were modeling it after Toni Morrison's Black Book from the 70s, which is really just like a, I, I highly recommend it. It's just like a hodgepodge of like photocopies and essays, the introductions written by Bill Cosby, like oddly enough. Um, but our des- our book designers recently were looking at the material that we've been collecting and they were like, is this a golden record? And I was like, oh my God, like Kimberly and I, Kimberly Jordan, who's my book partner and I both freaked the fuck out. And we were like, this is something we want to shoot into space and like aliens will get it and understand something about blackness in America or really mostly in America, I should say, in 2018, 2019 when the book comes out. And it's on like Chris Jackson's One World Imprint. Yes. And, you know, obviously like Chris Jackson is ta Coates' editor. Mm-hmm, and so that's mm-hmm. like a very sort of simpatico. Illustrious thing. Yeah, illustrious sphere to yeah. be in. So this project, it sounds awesome. And it sounds like just really ambitious. But my question (laughs) is, does doing the first one mean that you'll have to have a second one and a third one? And you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like how like how are you deciding the contours of this particular anthology to begin and Mm -hmm. end where Mm -hmm. it does? Mm -hmm. It's a big, big question. And we wrestle with it. And I think the enormity of the book really crystallized after the election because we sold it in September and then Trump was elected and it started to take on a different sheen. I think before we were like, this is a book about black excellence, hashtag, you know, magic. And then it was like, this is actually a book about survival and a book about how we made it through. And it's not a response, but I think it just crystallized in the way the election crystallized for a lot of people an urgency. Um, that a lot of us hadn't been tuned into before. So, I mean, it's made the project so much more interesting because I think if we th- if we think about it, like what would we want future generations to know about how we made it through this time? And it feels really different and it feels clear. It's not about like, um, you know, grownish, right? But maybe it's about like Yara's presence on social media, like how she's become this young activist. So... It's a big project and it's super challenging and... It sounds ultimately optimistic, though. It's so optimistic. I mean, it's interesting because it's like there are these segments like we're, we're trying to figure out how to deal with the prison reform system and oh like abolitionist God. movements. And, and also just like the yeah. for-profit prison system. Everything. And- 
And one of the ways we're tackling that is like Eve Ewing has this affirmation poem that is really incredible and she wrote it for people in imprisoned and incarcerated and it's really beautiful and like that's something we're going to use and then we're trying to figure out like are there any um you know projects where people who are incarcerated take photographs or portraits so it's like it's kind of a really elaborate puzzle and we keep extending our deadline because it just keeps getting more and more massive but it is it's like fun because sometimes we'll be like okay do we deal with black panther in the book and then it's like kimberly was like why don't we just get all of the like is this your king meme so like <laughs> is this your spring and like that's just hilarious it's like such a funny thing to do that's like about black panther but not really but it's almost like a very specific like filtered through people distillation yeah and of it's the effect of black panther not right, just this like right. exposition of like what it is and what it implies because it's almost like more joyous to be like and this is the end result as it was processed versus right like right right like right the instruction of it or whatever totally. it implies yeah it's not like the wikipedia entry or like the box office numbers it's like here's how you know our culture embraced and talked about this movie and made it part of a language a bigger vernacular and a visual vernacular which makes sense for you too mm -hmm. because it's always kind of a little bit about the meta narrative yeah because that's like the implication yeah mm -hmm. like surveillance is a big <clears throat> thread in the book for me in particular I'm really really invested in talking about how we think about Facebook as the feds and what that means for our communities um especially now Holy especially shit. now like Cambridge and now Analytica and like all that stuff hardcore yeah. so like for that to tackle that question for example we assigned a conversation between Sadie Barnett who's an Oakland based artist who does a lot of work with her dad was a Black Panther and he was heavily tracked by the FBI and she makes work around that and then Simone Brown who wrote Dark Matters and she looks at the history of surveillance of black people in America from the beginning of the time of, of the time that black people were here so we put them in conversation and then they annotated it and so then we'll like oh my god that sounds amazing yeah so we give it to our designers and we're like this is a transcript and then they will do whatever they do and like we'll have hopefully like a bunch of reference points and then I mean the thing that's really exciting is that our designers are really talented and they're really good and they don't flinch when we're like can we do sections in braille can we just like print recipes and scores and like in, in ways that look interesting they're really they're like really we don't want the book to be linear it's like you should be able to open it at any point read it it can't feel academic it has to be so accessible it has to be so visual and also we're doing all these things with like colors being coded to urgency and like you know i'm all about color psychology so i'm like blue is for this green is for this and they're super down so i feel like it's going to be a better encyclopedia britannica of like just this particular window um even the vernacular of it being called encyclopedia britannica word. like you know like come on <laughs> colonial bullshit yeah so do you what do you think the impact is going to be like you are I'm pretty scared. prescient and you are really good at calling stuff like that the interest in the book before it's even out is like really unnerving do you um, think it's just gonna be squadrons of like well actually people or do you think it's gonna mm -hmm. like catapult you into mm -hmm. like a weird i wonder because it hasn't this type of thing hasn't been attempted recently um do you since, think people yeah. are going to take you to task and be like, who the fuck are you to be the one to be? No, we know we're the ones. I mean, that's the thing. Like, they, <laughs> We know we're the ones. And I think there's a way in which like we keep checking in. Like Kimberly and I have done a really good job of we keep checking in and having these like offline quorums of people we respect who are in the book. And then also who we feel like 
are tapped into the culture we're trying to capture. And so there's a lot of conversations about like, how do we make this as accessible as possible, considering the fact that it's a textual piece of work? Like, how do we even symbolically do braille on like half the page? You know what I mean? It's like there's a lot of stuff we're trying to really be accountable for. And I think it takes a lot of gut checking and it takes a lot of checking in and it takes a lot of bouncing off of people and like buying people dinner and like promising them things, like just trying to like compensate people for their time, like not to just be like, give me your ideas, but like trying to like present things to people and ask them how it makes them feel. You know, you feel supported in this particular line of inquiry in terms of like, like your mind squad, your people. Like that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, one thing that was really exciting is that, um, so we both have different interests. We're making assignments. A lot of my interests are based around like infrastructure of the internet and like software. And like one of the things I just assigned was like an as told to about Black Planet, you know, because I think that was sort of pre-gentrification of internet and Black Planet was like the shit, you know? And Dude, so- I worked at Giant and obviously yes! like the parent company was yes, like, we yes, had yes. to have, like I had to have a Black Planet account and yeah. I had to have a Mi Gente account. Mi Gente, like, yes. You know what I mean? That was like, it. <laughs> that was it, you know? And I think it was like Asian Avenue was like Asian the other Avenue one, but we had to fair. have an account. So I, I do know of which you speak. And so I can't wait for that to come out, but I do think the second it comes out, people are going to be like, when's the next one? I know. And I think we're trying to look at holes as opportunities and like really acknowledge the ways in which we can't do things. But it's kind of fun to try to, you know conceive around how to make the book as inclusive as possible it's like something we're talking about doing is like you know can are there people we can tap to curate a page of like haitian twitter memes you know and like Mm. like i have a very singular understanding of what black twitter is but i know there's like nigerian twitter i know there's like south african twitter so how can we look at those movements and not have to be the ones to declare well this is what's interesting about it like can we commission someone right so you don't have that sort of like american monoculture yeah Yeah, totally and i think that's that's really what we're trying to do in the book is look at how like the internet has really enabled us to have a much more interesting conversation about the variations of blackness and how it's evolving and how we're tuning into each other's shit because of it you know um well and actually like speaking on inclusiveness like that's like a huge part of like your partner kimberly drew's entire initiative like like her her like whole like museum (laughs) mammy like persona and thing and mission yeah is to make art accessible yeah especially these like rarefied institutions of like museums where not a lot of people do feel included yeah and she had a tumblr or she still has a tumblr but you know tumblr is like what's going on with tumblr um black contemporary art which is how i met her and i just slid in her dms i was like we should work on something together you know um which i think we'll put in the book you know i think we'll put that the fact that yeah totally um it's funny, like, I mean, I'm less worried because I, I mean, you know, I see every week we'll do a show about X and everyone on Twitter is like, why didn't you mention Z? And I'm like, because the show is about X. Like, OK, um, so there's always going to be people who want to autocorrect what they think you've missed. But I do feel I don't know. I welcome that. I just feel like, well, they can be a volume two or like y'all can do volume two. That's fine. Right. It doesn't have to <laughs> just be peace us. With this. Yeah. No, totally. And so going stepping off of that a little bit like you are under some scrutiny mm-hmm. you there are expectations of mm-hmm, like what mm-hmm. not only like what you'll talk about but like the exacting ways you will or like the rigor or like whatever but you're kind of like especially this summer 
going into a different type of writing. Yes. Yes. And that's kind of what I want to talk about. Like, do you, I mean, we're colloquially calling it fatback. Yes, yes. I call it fatback. You're calling it fatback. Like, you're basically doing a (laughs) lot of, like, super wavy experimental writing that speaks to a lot of your sci-fi stuff, a lot of your identity stuff, Mm -hmm. a lot of your, like... It's, it's like speculative and it's not entirely future because some of it's like, it's just very amorphous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you feel any fear because of the level of scrutiny mm-hmm. or visibility <laughs> that you have moving to, into this like completely uncharted terrain for you? It's so terrifying. I need your help. Like, I feel like I don't <laughs> know how to do it. I also love Fatback because... So fatback is like a piece of pork that you use to season a pot of greens, which I know you know. But it's funny because sometimes people will be like, "What's up with back fat?" And I'm like, "Wow, <laughs> don't worry but what about it, it." What is fatback for people who don't know? Like, I know that this has been like your project that you've mm-hmm. fostered for a long time. It's like you know, it's almost like you've been like feeding the like sourdough <laughs> starter yeah, it for is a, a starter. really yeah, long time. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. like, what is it? Well. I okay so a few years ago I was really I was talking about this a little bit earlier on the show but I or the show this pod but I I really tuned into my relationship to my body and what it means to be inside my body and once I realized how disassociated I was and what it was doing to my psyche a, I was freaked the fuck out I got into therapy and really tried to start figuring out what was going on and why it was easy to cleave myself into parts instead of just like existing in my meat suit and I, at the time, I was really into reading Renee Gladman, who you have to read. You've read. Okay. Incredible. And she she's this amazing speculative fiction type person. I, I don't... She does so many things. She's an artist. She's an academic. But she has a book called Calamities that is just a series of prompts uh, that start, I began the day. And then it just takes on these really weird winding trails. And I was so inspired by that as an exercise that I started keeping a journal with a series of prompts I began the day looking for my body and you know kind of where I found it you know and where I couldn't find it and what it mean to look for it and what it meant to like wake up and not feel like you had a body um and that took me so many weird places that it's still really disjointed and really bizarro and really strange and I'm not sure if it even makes sense but it just allowed me to think about disembodiment in all the ways psychologically technologically I mean you know my avatar is a hologram like I am frozen in time on Rockaway Beach via Instagram right now and like I planted that there so people would leave me alone like that's how I view it you know and like that's a that's a third party body doing work on my behalf so so what does it mean and like it's it's the kind of writing I've always wanted to do about technology. And it's also really personal. And I just, I think too, like I'm really, really, really leaning into what it means to live beyond worrying about what men think about me physically. And it's such freedom, I have to say. And a lot of the book is about that too. And But it's also really freaky because it's like, no, like, and I'm not trying to like, like ground. Jeff no, shit. No. Annihilation, the <laughs> last yeah, 20 yeah, minutes. Yeah. Like, Southern Reach fucking trilogy <laughs> all the way through. No, but like, it's more just that like, how do you not feel weighed down by the terrestrial expectations of you? Not only in insofar as like how lucrative your words can be Mm. in its most optimized like Mm. expected like 
what people are asking of you way mm -hmm. versus this thing that you're doing where no one's asked for it. Right. No one expects it from you. N like there are people mm -hmm. who by dint of what space they would like you to fill will be mm -hmm. repelled by it. Good. Mm -hmm. But like, great. Yeah. But like, how do you get to the place where you're like, good, great. Um, like, how do you divorce the sort of pecuniary math that happens with like setting words down mm -hmm. and what you're about to spend all summer and part of fall probably yeah. doing yeah. Yeah. as like an in-demand person for this other thing? Mm. Well, there's a timeline. I've tried to set it up so that I can be really free of like obligations with my times job and Black Futures and the pod so that I can just think about this stuff. And that's that's been mostly successful. Like I think if everything keeps chugging along, then I will be really free to think about this stuff. But I think it goes back to like, what feels so good about leaning into herbalism and leaning into like holistic lifestyles and what it feels like leaning into queerness. It just feels so right. And it feels so good that it kind of doesn't matter what other people think about it. And maybe it's like the lesson I learned at UVA, which is just that like all the tokens don't matter. If you don't want the prize, you can cash them in for. And so I, I think the reward for me is so, so in October I was at, um, the Jack Jones Literary Arts Retreat working on this manuscript and I was thinking I had, I had started writing this essay about armband tattoos like people who get armband tattoos and I and I had discovered that people get them sometimes as measures of how far they're able to fist someone which blew my mind because I see them everywhere and now I'm always like um can I ask you about that <laughs> tattoo you know like it's it's a lot and <sighs> I'd started kind of writing about that feeling of just like what it means, like codes and signals and things that we wear in plain sight and just like how exciting it was and like, you know, like a little bit scary too. And I was in this library in Santa Fe reading about dendrochronology, which is the study of tree growth. Trees leave rings when they grow and that's how we know how is old they called, are. It's called dendrochronology? I think so. Okay. You can fact check that. Okay, no. But, but no, I'm pretty sure. I, I'm just, no, I'm just very curious about what the etymology on that is because that's a fascinating word I think, I think that's what it's called yeah amazing but a lot of um a lot of flora do this so certain sea creatures have rings um shells do shells mm, have you totally. know if you look at a yeah, shell yeah, you can yeah, see yeah, the yeah, rings yeah, the that, gradient yeah the, the sort gradients of, yeah. of growth so it turned into this essay about how we measure growth and how we measure progress you know and it was it was this moment of like pure revelatory bliss probably the, the way it feels when like you know what a character stops running into a wall and like finds the exit out of the maze and I wrote this whole essay and it was just like this feels really special and this feels really cool and it's just that like I guess I've been writing long enough to know when the spidey sense goes off mm -hmm. and you're onto something yes. and I just don't know what it is but I don't need anybody else to as long as my Scrivener backups keep working like I don't need anybody because <laughs> that's a frightening I mean, thing yeah totally that's a fucking thing but like I don't need anybody to validate it for me I guess and I think that's like you and I were talking about this where I was like oh should I sell it and try to get money for it so that I can just like finance the project but I also feel it's just not that different from trying to like pick mullen and dry it you know so i can like use it for a tea or a bath or whatever it, it feels so singularly satisfying it's like eating something really healthy and drinking a lot of water so i guess that's how i i think about it but you know i i don't know it's i i'd been realizing more recently 
because a lot of it is about I mean, there's a chapter called my it's like a, cha- a list of like me coming to terms with how much I love the way my body smells and like writing about like what my pussy smells like. And there is a part of me that's like, how am I going to feel when, <laughs> you know, the editor in chief of the Times Magazine reads that chapter? I don't know. I really don't know. But then I'll He's read a supportive, like, <laughs> like wavy guy. Like it might not make it. but you know it's like stuff like that and then I'll read like Eileen Miles or like Dorothy Allison and I'm like yo but these books changed my life so it's true actually it's true it's about the people who will have that moment of like recognition Mm -hmm. in the future Mm -hmm. that's important that's also like super future (laughs) Um, so my final question to you is you and I are both secret gremlins (laughs) Is it that secret? <laughs> it's not that secret. Um, but so what are the three ingredients that are crucial for grem life, low-key, <laughs> chill out, that you hoard in your little grem hole? Ugh. Like just, you had to pick three things, what would they be? Hmm. Chamomile tea, for sure. Salty air, like at the beach. I don't know, like organic cotton bed sheets. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So alarmingly simple <laughs> but you do make a mean chamomile tincture that i like enjoy throughout winter and spring and summer and fall what are your what are your grim life pantry um, chips oh chips <laughs> cool actually like i've stayed in your apartment you were away you were in norway and i st- stayed in your apartment when i was TBT. still yeah That's a real tbt I know, tbt um and I, I was still living in la speaking mm-hmm. of tbt and i saw this tiny little jar and it was halfway filled with lemon heads and I ate one and I was like mm, Grem but then it was like the cutest most like secret Grem artifact in your house and I was like I really appreciate this and I like took them to bed and I had three of them and I was Good. like I feel so close to you right now there's definitely like always a, a bag of like Haribo cherries like that's like real <laughs> yeah, totally. that's like that's like ultimate comfort Deep food Deep in, yeah yes. totally it's like in that. your molars yeah. yeah it's perfect well thank you so much for coming on this show this was wonderful thanks for having me Yay. I'm in love with my life.